afford to be here. This is small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away. A song away. A song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis. And I'm Kyle Dotson. And we are live from the 2016 SF Sketchfest at the Swedish American Music Hall, everybody. Come on! How many people in this room have listened to the Rock Solid podcast? Okay, that is not many. So my next question is probably going to get a, a, a wild uh, applause. How many people have uh, are fans of Sammy Hagar? I think I picked the right guess then. Uh, okay, what we're doing today, folks, this is a live taping of the Rock Solid podcast. Uh, this will drop on iTunes this Thursday, so I expect everyone to download that and love it, and then go and download every episode. That's what I'm looking for. And uh, we got a great show for you tonight. Uh, my guest co-host today, he's, uh, he's a fan of our show, which is hard to believe. Uh, he's a great guy. Uh, you might know him as a contributing editor to Rolling Stone magazine. He's also been in the CNN documentaries on the 60s and the 70s. Uh, this guy is funny, he's credible, I call him my friend. He doesn't return that, but I call him my friend. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's get a big uh, warm welcome for Mr. David Wilde. Take your seat, Mr. David Wilde. How are you? Uh, I'm great, and I want to say, Pat, thank you for letting me get back with my Swedish-American roots. Uh, my Swedish-Jewish-American roots. Uh, and it actually, that works out really well because my name is Dave, I'm Jewish, I think I'm funny, I can't sing, and Sammy always follows people like that very, very well. That's true. <laughs> no, but, uh, honestly, we're, I, I think we're, we're all thrilled to be here with not only one of the greatest singers in rock, Absolutely. Uh, but one of the great guys in rock. And I'll, I'll have a story that I'll share with you in a little while that proves that. Now, let me tell you a little bit. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Sammy. There's so much to say about Sammy Hagar, I couldn't memorize it. It's too much, so I wrote it down. Here we go. Our guest today, who we all know who it is, our guest today has recorded over 30 albums, 17 solo albums, four number one albums with Van Halen, Sammy has all the number one albums with the band Van Halen, people. Yeah. Two albums with Chicken Foot, one album with The Circle, two albums with Montrose. In addition to his vast musical success, he's also written two best-selling books, his autobiography, Red, My Uncensored Life in Rock. Did you read it? The most, I, I love, look, Sammy didn't pull any punches in that book. He tells it straight up, I believe that book 100%. His newest book, it's right over there, Are We Having Fun Yet? The Cooking and Partying Handbook. Uh, he has launched two successful alcohol brands, Cabo Wabo Tequila and Sammy's Beach Bar Rum. He owns a chain of Cabo Wabo Cantinos. Cantinos? 
That's, that's the Hebrew for Yeah, cantino. that's the Hebrew, the cantino. On January 24th, his first ever television show entitled Rock and Roll Road Trip will premiere on the Access Channel. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a big rock solid welcome to the red rocker, Sammy Hagar! Watch your step, sir, right here. Oh, thanks, everyone. That was a very nice introduction. <laughs> now, Sammy, before you sit down... Oh. <laughs> yes. I don't like to do a show without a couple of cocktails. Oh, you want to get, get high right away? I want to get, <laughs> get blasted immediately. Would you like to make a couple cocktails? Well... I, do, I don't drink in the daytime, and I just got back from Mexico uh, about 10.30 last night, and I've been drinking for one month. <laughs> but I'll mix you a cocktail and all maybe right, have a over, sip. Let's, let's go over here for a second. Damn. First of all, I got this book here. It's Are We Having Fun Yet? And so far, I am. <laughs> I dog-eared a page. I know that's probably not the best thing to do. Oh, okay. I got a thing, and I noticed that all the drinks in here have your name in it. It's like Sam, Sammy Shoes, Hager Pants. They're just like all... <laughs> I don't name the drinks, I swear. It's the, guy, it's the bartenders and the guys that make the booze for me and stuff. They, they name the shit. I don't name it. All right. I just go, okay. We'll, we'll, we will take your word for it. Here's, this is something called Sammy Shark Bite. Yeah. I've got all the things here. We got to... make you something. I, I, you're just going to make it... Uh, Oh, I love that, then. Let's do that. See, I want to check your tools out. First. I have this. Now, I have never tasted this brand. I think it's okay. It's Sammy's Beach Bar Rum. Do you recommend that? <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. We'll just start with that. Look we'll at just it. start it. Let's see what he's doing. Sammy's pouring beach. This is for the listeners. Shake it up and drink it, brother. Shake it. No, that's it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing you're here, David, because I'm going to pass out. All right, we've got a simple syrup. We got some beach bar rum. We have no shot glass here. He's just whatever, whatever he wants to do. I'd rather have fresh lime, but well, I know this is going to be too sweet already. Uh, I know fresh lime is better. I agree. You couldn't pr uh, pronounce cantina when you were sober. So I know. Imagine. I could. Did you hear me pronounce cantina? I said cantino. It's going to be too sweet. I'm a pussy, so it might be perfect. <laughs> That's what you need to know about. Pussy. No, right? Hey, who doesn't? Right. <laughs> I don't know. So, someone pointed at someone. That guy doesn't. Okay, let's see the secret. That's a red cup. That's too small. And too much booze. This, this front row's making their own jokes. I love it. Not one of my problems, okay. Oh, whoa, whoa. That's all right. That's all right. It won't shake because it's... They don't have the right equipment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. I'm nervous. Taste it. Sammy's tasting it. It's pretty good. Too sweet? You need some real lime. Right now, if you had real lime, you could take this down. God, I wish there was a bar somewhere where you could get real lime. I don't know where. It would be tough. Okay, you're good. All right. Good. All right. Who, are you going to drink one of these? David, do you want one of these? Only if it's Sammy's. That's not bad at all. All right, fuck it. <laughs> oh, 
Thank you, Sammy. Sammy. Daytime drink. Okay. Uh, like I said before, I've been, um, I took a month vacation with my family, and, and uh, we've been in Hawaii, and then we went to Cabo. From Hawaii, went straight to Cabo. I got home last night, 10.30. I have not had long pants and a jacket on, and I don't know how long. And, I mean, I've been in a bathing suit for a month, and I've, I feel really fucking weird right now. <laughs> I really do. You can. You I look really great. Do. You can take the jacket oh, off if you, you want to. No, no, hell no, man. I don't have much time. You know, you don't get much chance when you're Sammy Hagar. You don't have much of a chance to wear a jacket. That's, my, that's <laughs> true. It's never cold where I am. But there you go. Right. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, now, throughout the show today, we're going to be talking with Sammy. We're also going to be playing some, uh, some of Sammy's music over the loudspeaker. So, uh, Sammy, first of all, I want to ask you, uh, your first band, Montrose. First, for, well, I'll say, first band to record. You were probably in other bands, correct? Yeah. Yeah, first band I, I made a real record with, yeah. Right. And that record was produced uh, by Ted Templeman. Yes. Started a long uh, kind of... You know, relationship with him. He recorded some albums late in your later years. He yeah, he recorded for me solo record. He recorded VOA with I Can't Drive 55. But up till then, he just did the first two Montrose records. Yeah. Then he did VOA, and then he did the uh, the Van Halen record with Foreign Lawful Carnage because I wanted to get him back. He's the greatest yeah. vocal producer in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he knows when you're singing good. He just you know you 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 never know as a singer. You don't know when you're singing good because you're singing. When you sing the way I sing, anyway, you're trying as hard as you can every time. And some days you're better than others. And Ted would go, "Yeah, just try it again tomorrow." <laughs> you know. But he was always right. You'd say, "What the fuck, man? I sing. You know, I thought it was great. You know, because you're listening. You said it's the best I can sing." And uh, but a guy like him knows that you can do it better another time, and, and it's brilliant. So. And wasn't he like a member of was it Harper's Bazaar or something? Like he, yeah. He had a whole background. He was a bass player and a singer, and a, he was a, a drummer. He was really a musician. Is Ted still with us? Yes. Not here, but yeah. No, not here. Okay. Uh, well, let's hear, a little bit of, uh, let's hear a little bit of a song you wrote oh, from the first Montrose album. Right now? Yeah, we're gonna, you, you, are, we, are we okay with that? You want to hear your voice? I'll be all right. All let's right. hear some bad motor scooter, <laughs> I could, people. Wait a minute. I could have done... <laughs> I could have done that shit at home. I didn't have to come down here and listen to myself sing. Now, who's this young guy singing? He sounds pretty damn good. Yep, young. Is that as loud as it goes, Kyle? Yeah. Sammy was kind enough to sign this album for me backstage. He's also signed some CDs that I'm going to give away after the show. That's good, Kyle. Thank you. Did you uh, now, on this album, Montrose, we got Ronnie Montrose, Rock in Peace, Ronnie Montrose. Got Denny Carmazzi. Denny Carmazzi, yeah. And Bill Electric Church. Yes. Let me tell you a story. We're right around the corner here on 15th Street. I don't know the exact address, but right between Castro and Noe was where I wrote that song. God's Truth. I had no idea I was coming here. The next street over, mm -hmm. 15th Street, right here. And it was right in the middle of the block. And... Uh, we had a flat there with the Justice Brothers, and uh, my boy Aaron was just born, and uh, he was, so we lived down below with my ex-wife, and the whole band lived above in a flat, and I wrote that song, it was the first song I ever wrote in my life. That's excellent. Woo. I'm glad we started with that one then. Let's start off on the real shit. That's right. 
That's awesome. Really, man. It's funny you played that song. Yeah, do, you, uh, do you have, a, fa- do you have a, f- a favorite song? I mean, you still play Bad Motor Scooter and Rock Candy in concert today. I do. Those are the two songs that have stood the test of time for yeah, me. Yeah, those are excellent tunes. I wish rock radio would play more of these type of songs. I have my own radio station now. Don't worry, I play oh, it. Dude, <laughs> Is there anything you don't do? I understand. Do you, are you, are you going to... Oh, there's plenty of things I don't do, pal. <laughs> See, I would love... Sammy Hager has a daycare center, I bet, somewhere. No. Something... He does everything. You name it. No, no. And, and to that point, uh, uh, I invited a mutual friend of Sammy's and mine, Chris Isaac. You're right over there. Chris Isaac. Where's Chris Isaac? Uh, uh, and... Uh, now, ladies, Chris don't, is really don't, funny. Yeah, don't look at Chris too long, ladies, or you'll faint. Yeah. Because he is... <laughs> He's dressed to the nines, and he's a gorgeous man. Uh, and we were had dinner last night, and we were talking about Sammy, and we were talking about Sammy's book. And the truth is, other than when Sammy personally mixes me a drink, I'm not a drinker. <laughs> and, and Chris, not so much. But we said, when he read his, your book, he thought the thing that moved him was it's a great American dream come true. Absolutely. That, and that's the amazing thing about yeah. Sammy is he really... Guilty as charged. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. No, the, so the I'm book getting is, drunk just for you and that American dream. The book was a success story, and that's all there is to it, and that's why I wrote it. It wasn't to put everybody's crap out in the street, even though I ended up doing that. <laughs> I had, you know, when you write your autobiography, you have one shot at it. You yeah. know? So if you don't tell everything, and the next thing you know, you're like out there saying, well, I wrote my second book. It's my real autobiography. You know, so I don't ever have to do that. I wrote that fucker, and it's true. <laughs> the, the, and the reason when I read your book, the reason I knew that you were telling uh, the 100% truth is because you, you didn't always paint yourself in the best light. You were no. totally honest about your, your faults and everything, too. So whenever someone does that, I'm like, well, then I believe every single thing in here, and why wouldn't I? Yeah, it was, yeah, I... Um, I embarrassed myself. I embarrassed my wife, Kari. I embarrassed my, my brother and my sister. And I embarrassed some old band members. And I embarrassed my kids. But, how, <laughs> but how, like I said, I'm an honest fella, man. You ask me something, if yeah. I'm, I'm not going to tell you a lie. That's why I'm wearing these shades, though, in case I have to. <laughs> I might have to lie to you guys. Do you, uh, do you let them read the book before it's published? Or did you just say no one can see it until it's published? Oh, no, I, I read the whole thing. Um, I wrote the book like this. I started in the beginning, we did a chronological, and it was very simple. Joel Selvin, a, a local f- a guy here, uh, he knew, knew so much about music and about m- my career, but every, just music in general. So we tried to write it chronologically, so we just went right straight through, and then we'd read a chapter, and Joel would say, I think you need more about your mom, or you need more about your brother, or I, I, what song were you listening to on the radio then, you know? And I'd say, you know, like Satisfaction by the Stones. He'd say, oh, well, that was 1964, you know, August 13th, that was released. You know? So we got, he really helped me make the book factual. It was because yeah. otherwise my memory, it would have been like, <laughs> I'd have been in Van Halen before Montrose probably. But. <laughs> uh, well, in, in keeping with some uh, chronological, I'd like to play a quick little song off of uh, Paper Money, the second Montrose album, okay. the last one that you uh, were lead singer on. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, Kyle, play a little bit of I Got the Fire. Yeah.
Thank you, Kyle. Damn. Now, now I, I have a question about this song. This song is credited only to Ronnie Montrose, but I don't think he wrote that song by himself. No, I wrote the lyrics, and uh, he says that he forgot to put my name on it. <laughs> and it broke the band up. God's truth, it broke the band up. He told all the other guys. I mean, I was broke on my ass, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was trying to pay the phone bill so I could call my wife while I was on the road, yeah. you know, and say hi to my little boy, you know. And um, so I needed that money. I'm going, man, you know, he's going, well, don't worry. It'll be on the next, you know, uh, run of the record and uh, it, it never was no it never was so when I pissed and moaned about it <laughs> and threatened to beat some ass about it <laughs> uh, he got the other guys in the band said you know hey I was trying to take all the money because I wrote most of the songs in the first album so I did make more money yeah. than, than everybody but when I say more money I made $5,000 right. you know, so, <laughs> that year you know um, but <laughs> we were broke, man. Montrose, we never made a dime. It was, we were, when we broke up, we were so in debt to the manager that we, did, we didn't see money for five years, probably, for royalties. But anyway, so the, he just told the guys in the band that I was being greedy and trying to take all the money, and, and they got pissed off at me, too. And then, you know, and it was like, it, was, it wasn't cool. And the thing about I Got the Fire, to me, is it, there couldn't be a more Sammy Hagar-sounding song <laughs> than I Got the Fire. I'm like, oh, this could have been on any one of your first few solo albums easily. So I wanted to give yeah. you credit well, on Ronnie I Got the Fire. Well, Ronnie wrote the lick. He wrote the lick and, and the word, yeah. I Got the Fire. You know, he went, but da 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 But then you wrote the rest of the lyrics. Bum, 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 I Got the Fire. Well, I got to tell you, without lyrics, that's not a good song. It's just, uh, no, but it's it's okay. just a guy playing and someone yelling, I forgive I him. Fire. I forgive him. Yeah. Okay. Pat, Pat, can I ask a question? Uh, you know, talking about the fire and your, your vocal power, your fire, you know, when I went back to listen to some of the early stuff I hadn't listened to in a while, I was impressed that you always had a gift. You always had an instrument that was amazing. But the thing that I'm most impressed by is that, like, I listening from that and then going to the circle, like, now... You've only gotten better as a vocalist, and there's only more. And the thing that was there then and is there now, which I miss in, there's not many hard rock vocalists who have ever had this, is soul. You've always had yeah. amazing soul. Absolutely. And, and is, that, is that a gift, or is that something that came from being influenced early on, or is that what comes out of you naturally? Uh, it comes out naturally, but I have to push myself so hard to sing like that. And I think the reason I started singing like that was because I was so afraid to step up to a microphone the first time. You know, um, it, it's I'm still so uncomfortable with singing. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, people think I'm the most confident guy in the world. I am not. When I sing, it is embarrassing. You really have to just close your eyes. And so I've always learned to sing as high as I could because it sounds more soulful because yeah. you really have to push yourself and squeeze and scream to get it out and it's a way of Do it. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable uh, and it's just a way of expressing yourself and you know guys like James Taylor uh, who's one of my favorite singers yeah. favorite songwriters I love him and, uh, but he sings so soft and easy, and he's soulful. It, it's like yeah. effortless yeah. when and James Taylor sings. And though. See, a yeah. lot of guys, when you, you know, sing like that, eh, it doesn't sound too soulful. But a lot, some guys have it. It just hasn't been my style. But as I get older, I'm more comfortable now with singing in a lower register and having my soul still be exposed because I am more confident of who I am, mm-hmm. but I'm still not that confident in my voice. And it's just, it's, it's a funny thing. It's embarrassing to sing. I don't care. You people try it sometimes. It's fucking embarrassing. <laughs> no, the, the, I, I, 
<laughs> a, couple, a, a couple years ago, we spoke about your Sammy and Friends record. I remember the track you did with Taj Mahal. I remember thinking, the cool thing is, as different as some people think of you two, you're both two soulful artists. You're two oh, he's singers and writers. Yeah. And it's great together. It just felt natural to well, me. Well, let's hear some of it. Kyle, you got it queued up for us? Ah. There's a song called Winding Down. Winding Down. Yeah, from Sammy and Friends. Wow. Covering a lot, covering about 30 years in between or something like that? Yeah. That's a protest song. <laughs> it's a protest song. Really. And I think also your voice is so good because you've never stopped using the instrument. You keep uh, singers like Ann Wilson from Hard and Robin Zander from Cheap Trick. You guys that keep going out there and touring and recording and doing this for years and years and years instead of taking like you know, five, six, seven, ten years off. You guys keep that. <laughs> you guys keep. You guys keep that. Uh, ten years off. Wait. You know what I mean. You keep that instrument yeah. working and fresh. So well, I don't tour that much anymore. I think I'll, uh, y'all know that, and, yeah. and I get com- I get a lot of complaints. There you go. Go ahead, get it <laughs> off your chest. But you're in a you're in a room in Sammy's feet. But from I you. have. <laughs> Do not complain. <laughs> but I have, you know, Cabo Wabo cantinas, yeah. and I have so many friends that when my friends come through town, y'all see me, I jump up on stage. Right. You know, I go down to Cabo. I was in Cabo, I, I was with Toby Keith singing two nights ago, and Toby Keith, John Marin, myself jumped on stage. Toby and I do it all the time, but I had never met John Marin, and he jumped right up there. We played an hour and a half, so I'm always singing, right. but, but going out on tour, it, it's really difficult because, um, I, I, you know, at my age, I want to be, be great every time I step on yeah. stage, and I want to be really jacked up to go out there and do it, and after about two or three weeks on the road, I don't feel that way. Yeah. And I wake up in the morning in some hotel and go, what the fuck am I doing? You know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then it just, it's not a good feeling. So I don't go on tour. I go out and I do shows, yeah. and I come back home. Like we, last year, The Circle, we did like two shows a month, I think, average. Like mm-hmm. we did like 25 shows or something for the whole year. And that's the way I like to do it. And I'm going to continue to do that for the rest of my life. I keep telling my manager and my agent, I'm saying, if I got 100 more shows in me, I don't want to do them in one fucking year, you know. I, right. I, I want to go out and do them. You know? <laughs> so, and now, the circle, that's your, I mean, you, you have so many, you just like working with people, and the circle is the, is the newest project you've been involved with. Yeah. This is uh, Michael Anthony, I think we've heard of him. Uh, Vic Johnson from the Wabos. And then you got this new drummer. The kids, he's getting better. A little guy named Jason Bonham. From a nice family, right? yeah. And uh, you guys have a new live album out, uh, At Your Service. And we just released a DVD from the same shows. It's all mixed up from all the shows. Yeah. The live album, we did seven shows, we recorded it, and, and the first seven shows we did, we rehearsed two days, went out the first show, played for 40,000 people in some festival, and recorded it and filmed it. <laughs> and then that's we, pretty ballsy, right yeah, there. It is. We did the next seven shows, and that was that's the live album, and that's the live DVD. It's all cut up. So what? 
um, John Mayer was saying, man, you can change your shirt faster than anybody I ever saw. <laughs> I said, no, no, it's a different night. I don't change my shirt during the show unless I have to. And this is, uh, and you, you're able to play songs from all the Sammy eras. You're able to play song, some Zeppelin, put some Zeppelin in there, and, uh, and obviously some Van Halen, and it's so cool. To, that must be a fun to be able to do the whole catalog like yeah, that. Yeah, we just added chicken foot songs to the set in Carlo oh, yeah, this last foot, time. Karen will tell you. You guys should be yeah. interviewing Karen. She knows more about me than I do. <laughs> but in Cabo this last year, we, we mixed it up and we did a Bigfoot and Sexy Little Thing. And, and uh, just the band, the circle for me, the reason it's called the circle, it's really taken my, my whole life and career, total in a full circle. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, this band's plays are my music. Mm -hmm. He serves it as well as it's ever been served, including Montrose, everything. Uh, Jason Bonham is, every drummer I know that I've ever played with, Tommy Lee, Denny Carmasi, Alex Van Halen, just go down the road. You're, who's your favorite drummer? John Bonham. Yeah. Jason plays exactly like his dad, I'm telling yeah. you. It's like, Let's, well, we have. Uh, it's I, unbelievable. We have. Uh, we have from the Circle album at your service. We have uh, Little White Lie queued up. It's the last oh. one on the list, buddy. Wow. I love this song. Come back to haunt you. Got one, you got two. Come around the back of you. Say what you have to. Do what you gotta do. What sucks That's is, live. Yeah. That's fucking live band. No overdubs. No cheating. <laughs> no. Wait, you didn't, you didn't go into a room and re-record the vocals for the entire live album? No, we do not. <laughs> you, wait a minute. <laughs> you keep listening. You'll find out. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually making yeah. a reference to the Right Here, Right Now live album by Van Halen. Because yeah. in your book you say that you did... We, we, they, they fixed everything. I'm not dogging them. They didn't have to. Van Halen yeah. didn't have to fix no. that shit. Those guys just wanted to torture me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I go into the studio and have to re-sing all that live stuff that was pitch perfect. Yeah. And it was like, the, the problem was there was some out-of-tune things, but that's live, you know? I mean, yeah. you gotta, anyway, so yeah, that, that album's But, that, but that, that, that said, there was a recent, more recent Van Halen live record without you, where I really wish the vocals had been re-recorded. I, I think that might be live, actually. Yeah, that was, that was painfully live. Uh, David, you, had, uh, you, you wrote the liner notes to uh, The Best of Both Worlds. That was the two-CD set that had Sammy Era and Dave Era stuff mixed in together. And, uh, you well, you know, and the reason why, one of the many reasons I'm thrilled to be here and that when Pat asked me, uh, just to reveal, because I, I think we have the people who are already converts to this uh, religious cause of Sammy. Uh, but uh, just to show you how right you are, I had a dealing which was, uh, uh, and I don't think Sammy knows this, but the truth is I spent a couple weeks with the brothers who, again, I'm a fan of all eras of Van Halen. I think Sammy, all of us are probably. Yeah, I'm, yeah, uh, I'm a fan of everything Van Halen. But I'm also a fan of being sane and treating people well. And, I'm not a fan of uh, that. And what I, I can't be, I'm not with against that. that. Okay. Uh, but what happened was, uh, I was there when 
uh, actually, I did a cover story on Eddie around the time of Balance, mm. and I was sort of there as the cycles of like who is written out of the history. Every, there's always someone being written out of the history, and it began to make less sense. Like when it got to like Michael Anthony and all this, it made no sense. But at one point uh, later, I was asked to write these liner notes, and I wrote them, and this is the strangest true story you'll ever hear. Uh, I was in New York working for CBS, and I got a call from Eddie saying, I don't want you, in, when you write these notes, I don't want you to mention Roth, I don't want you to talk to Roth, I don't want you to think about Roth. Uh, which made no sense, because Roth was all over. Well, now it's right. me, by the way, but that's... Exactly. No, no, no. <laughs> but I've had that conversation as well. Uh, uh, true. Uh, so then, by pure coincidence, that was, I was working for CBS on an event that involved uh, the cast of Raymond the day the show ended. And I went with them down to a comedy club in the village. And uh, the, so Ray Romano and all of them got up on stage. I'm there with them, having the greatest time of my life. We go upstairs to have chicken wings. At, I guess it's a, a club owned by a former vocalist's uh, uncle. I go up, I sit at the bar, and I'm having a, a Diet Coke. And David Lee Roth walks in, sits next to me, and goes, how you doing? And I realize, I can't talk to you. <laughs> uh, which, which can be good sometimes with that but, uh, and the truth is I wrote the notes and I said I can't write them without mentioning a little of the history and the only person who made that happen and stood up for that was Sammy who the one man who you think would you know, have some vested interest otherwise he said and, and, and that's I, 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 coined, I, asked, I, I wrote the liner notes I called it best of both worlds because that's what it was you know the best of both worlds and uh, thank God Sammy fought the good fight and that's every time I've had a dealing with him he's always been the kindest generous and I for one as a Fanny Halen fan when I when, he, when you stood up for Michael Anthony uh, yeah. that to me was the most important moment in Van Halen history right yeah. and uh, it's okay that we kiss your ass for an hour and a half right you're fine with that <laughs> Cool. Um, yeah. I, I, my vacation is over. <laughs> uh, I got I, a jacket on. I agree with you. the Michael Anthony stuff is so silly to me because just as a fan, I think if if Michael was that bad, then he wouldn't have been there that long. They would have got rid of him before they even recorded album one. So Michael Anthony, everybody, come on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, uh... I, that was the, the, the situation that happened when that happened was I was setting up my my um, friend uh, John Lewini who does all the video stuff for for my website and r- runs my whole uh, cyberspace world except my Instagram. That's my <laughs> shit. <laughs> but um, he was there. He was he was there to to film me. We were going to do an interview for the website for the fans. Tell them what what's up. And when it right when I they. Right when they were getting ready to turn the camera on, uh, Mike calls and said, man, you're not going to believe it. And he read me what had been said about him. Uh, and, and I was mic'd up and had a camera in my face, and I went off. And that was, <laughs> that was very spontaneous. It was not premeditated. And it was, but it was so funny because then I got uncomfortable with it when I saw it back. I said, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't want to dip into that whole world. And, and everybody's going, no, man, just, you know, I'm saying, okay. I'm good with it because it's how I really feel, right? And then it, it was the only thing that I've done as, a, as outside of Van Halen that kind of unified all the fans. I don't think anyone dogged me for saying that because 
It was so wrong. It was just so wrong. And uh, anyway, it's all good. Mikey's so cool. He's anybody that dogs Mikey, fuck those people because they don't get it. <laughs> they don't get it. He's he's the real deal. Well, Mikey's I, makes me look like an asshole. Well, okay. <laughs> can I ask you about his contribution vocally before you? While you were there, vocally to Van Halen, how would you define his? Because it's like people took a long time to realize that backing vocal thing, how important that was to that sound. Yeah, Mikey has a real weird voice. He's like a trumpet. He hits notes pure and clean, but he doesn't like vibrato, and he he doesn't try to sing like a, a soul guy or a blues guy or nothing. He's it's you know I hate to say it, but it's really white, you know. But it's so <laughs> it's so dead on the money that he's the only guy that can sing higher than me when I'm in my when my supersonic range. That sucker gets up there above me and hits it clean and perfect. And and he in Van Halen in the early days. Uh, they always layered Mike. All those background vocals, you know, Eddie's always talking about, oh, it was me, it was Rock. It's fucking Mike, man. You can hear Mike a mile away. And, and in, in Foreign Lawful Carnal Knowledge, they were trying to get Mike, they didn't want Mike to do the background vocals. They wanted me to do everything. I said, are you crazy? That's like saying you don't want to have Eddie's guitar sound and you don't want to have Al's snare sound, you know. And I fought, you know, it was, it was always fighting with those guys at the end. It was just at the end, but... Uh, uh, Mike, Mike's yeah. voice is so important. It's, yeah, you, it, when you hear that voice, that's that's half Van Halen running yeah. with the devil. Get out of here, man! It was like, you, bang, bang, you, know, he's like you, you shouldn't have to fight for things that are signature Van Halen sound to stay signature Van Halen sound. No, but you shouldn't. In the long run, here's what happens: you got Mike in the divorce, so that's good. <laughs> that's good. Mikey's in the circle. <laughs> I want to play. I want to play two versions. I, I consider this a signature uh, Sammy Hagar song. It's called Red. That's your. Although you didn't grace us with any red today, I know that uh, that you got anything. Well, maybe stuff you can't show us, but nothing. No. Nope. nope. No red today. Nope. Kyle, let's hear. Let's hear. I didn't a think about and, it. And Sammy, I just want to say it was so brave of you to come out as a communist early. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're Listen, my wife dressed me today. Kari dressed me. <laughs> she had to go pick Samantha up from school, otherwise she'd have been here making sure my hair was all good. She'd come up and do all this shit, you know. <laughs> but um, no, I, I like I said, I've been in a bathing suit for a month, and Kari <laughs> said, "Here's what you're wearing," and she, I got to go pick up Samantha. I said, <laughs> <laughs> have a good. Have a good day with whatever you're doing today. Hey, I'm gonna start. But, uh, I'm gonna get it off. I'm gonna start taking it off now. Yeah. Let's hear a little. Let's hear a little bit of red, Kyle. I've read it all. It's black and white. Yeah. The spectrum made a shade I like. The crimson rays are ruby bright. Technicolor light. That's from, uh, that's from your self-titled Sammy Hager album. Some people call it the Red Album because it's all, everything's red. And here's what, in, in doing some homework, I didn't know that Bette Midler recorded a version of this song. Yeah. Yeah. Is that because her hair's red? Is that why she... Uh, she liked it. Let's hear, I have it. Let's hear a little bit yeah, of Bette Midler sing this song. Broken Blossoms record. Can you believe that? No. 
Well, there's a lot of thumbs down from the crowd right now. All right, gotta shut it down, Kyle. Well, I think. Um, I, you know, I, I want to say something about Bette Miller. Well, she can sing. She's high energy as hell. Yes. She, in my opinion, I honestly, I, when I first met Bette back in 77, 78, mm -hmm. we became buddies like that. She's just like me, I swear. She's like a female, it's like a yin-yang thing. She's, <laughs> she's high energy, she's neurotic, she can't sit still. She's like, you know, jacked up all the time and insecure, you know, and all those things that I am, uh -huh. that, you know, that she, she was just like me. We went crazy together, man. We were like, in a room, people were like getting out of our way and, uh -huh. you know, like... Uh, we, we destroyed her recording session because we got so talking about stuff and her Phil Ramone, her, her, um, her producer, he's like in there with it turned way low, you know, and she goes, I want you to hear this. Oh, you got to hear this right now. Oh, oh, ah, ah, you know, and she's like, <laughs> and I'm going, yeah. She, she's awesome. She's awesome, yeah. But oh, I'm not I haven't seen her for a long time. I'm not going to play this one, but also Keep On Rockin' was recorded. She recorded that for the Rose soundtrack. Keep On Rockin'. Yeah, a little mailbox first, money for Sammy album. Hagar right there. Yeah. Right? No, she was a fan, and vice versa. Uh, David, also from the earlier, uh, from the early uh, uh, Capital years, when you were uh, with uh, John Carter producing, yep. or Carter as it was, uh, David picked a song to play. So let's hear a little bit of a "Straight from the Hip Kid." <laughs> what a trip! Yeah, yeah man. I, I didn't write this song. No, I know, but I love it's always no, it's yeah, fine. It's yeah, no, I just want to make that understood. I didn't write. Carter always brought me songs, uh -huh. and he brought me this song. I said, "I like it." Yeah, I like it too. Yeah. Straight, oh, Kyle, please. It's no, it's, it's up in the list, straight from the hip kid. Oh, there it is. Sorry, I should. Kyle's producing, everybody. Give him a bow of applause. Hey. Kyle Dotson, doing a great job today. Thanks, Kyle. He's my nephew. I bring the kid along. I buy him a meal. I get him a happy meal. He's happy. It's a, he doesn't like the toy. I tell the guy we need a new toy. I great forgot tune. about that song. That's I, not, I don't think that's great. You, you it was all right. That you was, have so many songs, though. I, I was mean, struggling like, singing that song. I was reading all them lyrics and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Man. You, uh, you also wrote and recorded a song that was uh, made, made, I would say, uh, more, more famous. What's that? More famous. More famous, okay, I had to say it, by, uh, by a, a guy named Rick Springfield. Yeah. Everybody knows about that. These people know about that. They know about that. They know about that. Maybe the listeners don't know, but let's I listen. I worked that one pretty hard there for a while. Yeah. yeah. Let's listen to a little of Sammy's version of I've Done Everything For You. It's number 13, Kyle. Well, this one way love affair, it ain't fair, it ain't no kind of fair to me. It's all give and take, and you just take, and I can't take it, you see. So good, so great. So I love that song. I, now, see, I think that was a great song. That's and a great tune. It was kind of a punk. It was right on the edge of punk. There, you know, punk was starting to happen, and 
and I was trying to write a hip song, you know, and a, and a Carter, everyone thought it was a big hit, and, and it was a big bomb. I mean, it really was. And, and Rick Springfield records it later, and it was sold five million singles. It was number one in nine countries and all that shit. He still so, sings it today. He sings yeah. it every night when he's on stage. So I'm proud of that song, yeah. <laughs> there are, there are so, many deep, there's so many deep album cuts. Yeah, go ahead, David. I just wanted to ask about Carter, because I knew him years later when he was working with a guy, E, from the Eels. Yeah. Uh, and he was a great guy. But he told me, I asked him about you, he goes, you know, one of the best PR singers I ever met. Uh, what, what did he contribute to, his, to your career? What do you, what, what do you give Carter? Him? Yeah. Um, Carter became my manager <laughs> later on and, and managed Chickenfoot along with Joe Satriani's manager, Mick Brigden, who's a, a local guy from around, well, he's from London, but, you know, he uh, lives here for his whole life, with, worked for Bill Graham. Anyway, Carter was um, the most adventurous artist in the record business, to me at that time, he he was like he signed people like Eel, he signed people like the Motels, he signed Bob Welch, he signed Bob Seger, he signed me, all to that label. And there's more. I mean, everyone he signed that the record companies didn't want to sign, he fought for them, and sure enough, they all got really big, you know. And uh, he just had really good instincts, and. He was just a trip. He was a funny guy. I, I, I miss him dearly, but he, he would, I would always run my lyrics past Carter. I mean, I would never write a lyric uh, that I wouldn't sit and read him to him or let him read him or give him to him over the phone. And he was always had a little bit of input. I wrote a lot of songs. He wrote the lyrics, half the lyrics to Red. We wrote the lyrics together on a, on a bunch of songs, and he was great. He, he was just really an artsy guy. He, he got it. <laughs> and what, is, what do you think we lose from, you know, you were an art, you actually had artist development. You were given some time to become great and then to showcase that and then earn a lot more money back for record companies. But what do you, the world today, like, you've become your own industry as the record industry has collapsed, which you have excellent timing. Uh, but what do we, what do you think, does the music world miss out from the fact that there is no artist development like that. Ooh, it's weird, but you know, there's a thing called the internet, you know, and YouTube and all that, which really, you can, in my era, in Montrose and my solo era, you and Humble Pie and Jay Giles and all those bands from that era, Peter Frampton, you made three records. They signed you to three records. They send you out on tour. You come home, you make another record. They send you out on tour. If you didn't break on your third record, they'd drop you, right? But they'd spend millions of dollars, you know, on, on trying to make you a um, a big artist and um, then comes MTV and you could be a one hit wonder and get huge you could yeah. you know Duran Duran and bands like that one song and they were selling out arenas which is great hey God bless them man I wish I would have had it that easy yeah. but it doesn't, doesn't mean they're bad it just means they had yeah. this extra help of yeah. coming into your living room every single day and people are like I'm going to go buy that album yeah but yeah. then when MTV went away uh, now it's like it's all you have is the internet and it's so gimmicky it's really hard. Like, you know, the, the biggest hits from the internet have been that guy from Taiwan or something, whatever that <laughs> Fuck. I'm going, wait a minute. That guy sold like 40 million of anything? Right. Uh, it's just hard for me to, to dig that. But real artists are going back in their garages and going out and playing clubs and struggling. And like a band like to one of my favorite bands is uh, Rival Sons. I think the Rival Sons are really great. Great band. And they are on to, they, these guys are like Montrose. They got no money. <laughs> They're working every day. They don't, you know, and now they got a big break. They're out with Black Sabbath for a world, world tour. Yeah. And, but the hard work makes you better. 
Those guys are fucking great because they work so hard. They've got about 3,000 shows under their belt. So you got somebody with no shows or some internet, you know, uh, sensation. They may have some talent, but go see them live, man. It's like you want to, I want to see a real, real band, you know, or real that's people. You know? That's what, uh, that's what Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters says. Get your guys, get in the garage, and play and play and play, play until play, you play. are fucking good. Yeah. So until uh, you hate each other. Until you hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just for the just for the listeners, we're not going to be able to get into all these songs, and I want to move into the Geffen years. But uh, these are some songs that you need to go to iTunes and download. Growing Pains, Keep on Rocking, Love or Money, Mommy Says, Daddy Says, Bad Reputation. These first five Sammy albums on Capitol Records are so good, and I really think people need to go and download these and listen to these. But um, You can have them. Don't, you don't have to pay for it, trust me. <laughs> I don't get paid, so don't worry about it. You don't get paid for those anymore? I don't think so. That I don't stinks. know. I don't pay attention. <laughs> that stinks. Um, so your first album on Geffen Records, produced by Keith Olsen, um, is Standing Hampton, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time you are a platinum solo artist. Yeah. Uh, tell me, Standing Hampton, tell me what that title means. <laughs> for, the, for the people who don't know. It is a comedy festival, so it is a comedy the, festival. the, the oh, okay. dick joke is a proud tradition well, I, here. Listen, I'd say it if we were in church, okay? Yeah. It don't matter to me. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a Cockney rhyme. Cockney rhyme is a British term for some, you know, like what rappers do today. Good is bad, you know, uh, you know, using words that are almost the opposite of what they mean. And a, a standing Hampton is, is a, a, a Cockney rhyme term for a hard-on. <laughs> Whoa, that's not what I thought it was at all. See? No. See? Uh, now, was it exciting to be signed to Geffen? Because at that time, Elton John and Don Henley, and there were a lot of big acts, and now Sammy Hagar is invited to be on this label. Was that cool? It was real cool. And it was actually before, yeah, the only people on there at the time were Elton John, Neil Young, and Donna Summer, and... Uh, John Lennon, and then there's me, and then Henley came, and yeah. then the Guns N' Roses yes. came later. But it was so cool because David Geffen was one of those music guys mm -hmm. that said, you know, I, I said, you know, he'd just say, what do you want to do? i say, well, I want to make a great record. Then go on and make a great record. Here's a bunch of money. You know, it was like, wow. And, yeah. you know, and, and he signed people, though, that he trusted. You know, you, you give some, some drug addicts, here's a bunch of money. It's like, <laughs> see ya, you know. <laughs> But he knew that I wanted it bad, and we had a lot of meetings about it, and he knew how hard I was willing to work. And I, uh, they, they took me off the road. I'd never been off the road in my life since Montrose. And, uh, and they said, take a year and write all the songs you can. J John Carter, uh, I mean, not John Carter, John Collider, who's just like John Carter, yeah. all about the music. So they made me write, he made me write 28 songs for, for uh, you know, 10 songs or whatever was on the album, yeah. I forget. 28 songs, and... Uh, I just stayed in the studio every day. I loved it. Buckled down, and they picked the top ten and had my first platinum album, like I said. first Well, million let's seller. hear it. That is a great album, top to bottom. Kyle, let's hear a little of I'll Fall in Love Again. Yeah.
It's a real hard it's note so to great. sing. Yeah. sing. To sing in love. Love. It's hard to sing love. It's a weird song. It's a weird word to sing. Ask Chris. Ask anybody <laughs> that sings love song. The word love is a fucked up word to sing. And, and, and that, was, uh, that was hard singing that. But let me tell you a quick story about that sure. song. That song was my first top 40, really, really, it was a legitimate hit. And back in those days, uh, they had these independent promotion guys that used to put money on records. The record companies say, we're going to hire so-and-so to go work that at top 40 where you had to pay people and buy them new TVs and shit to play your record. Payola. That's what it's called? Uh, Hold it. This went on in the, re- in the record wait business? Yeah, wait a minute. Payola? No, it no, was just okay. favors. Different thing. Okay. Anyway. Now, oh, th- now I was trying to be funny. It wasn't funny. Uh, so I'm just that shocked. Song, I'm shocked it was TV. I thought it was exclusively cocaine. <laughs> well, but that TV too. TV seems nice. It's wholesome. That too. And hookers and everything. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so that, my song was, it was on fire. It went like, it hit number 40. And the head of Geffen Records, Eddie Rosenblatt, a very smart man, but he was being a little frugal. He said, hey, the song's a bona fide hit. It's number one in Dallas. It's number one in, in Portland, Oregon. It was number one in about four uh, cities, which is a big deal to have a number one top 40 song like that because it was rocking a little bit for top 40. Anyway, long story short, he goes, take the money off. It's an automatic hit. And they took the money off and it went to 42. And <laughs> oh. <laughs> but that was one of the biggest top 40 hits I've ever had because I had a number one. Yeah. Sing- Even Van Halen, we didn't have number ones. Jump was number one. Why Can't This Be Love was number one. None of, none of the other ones, right? Yeah. But the albums were number one. But the top 40 singles, number one, that's a big deal. So it went to 40, but it was a big hit. Um, and, but that just it was broke my heart. Man, I'm going, oh. <laughs> I was on the way to top 10. <laughs> And there's, uh, uh, I, I do have a question. Uh, I always wanted to ask you this. Um, how many ways are there to uh, rock? Because <laughs> well, I debate this all the time with guys. And I think. There's a couple. I was, be, I was being arrogant. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so your, your next, uh, I, this is actually a legit question because I do not know this. And I'm not, and you're, you're going to think I'm joking, but I, I, I do not know what this exactly means. Uh, your, your second album on Geffen was Three Lock Box. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, see, I, see. I, I, re- I do see. not, I don't know what a three lock box is. Here's what I think it is. I thought it was maybe a guitar case. Because don't guitar cases have like three of those? Th- that's what yeah, I yeah, always yeah. thought it was. It, this is legitimate now. Okay. It's legit. There's a three lock box in real life is... Uh, in the old days when the queen and the king of Spain and, and England and things would travel in boats and ships, you know, go to another country, uh, they would take their prized possessions, their jewels and things, their riches, in a chest, and they would have three locks on them so no one person could open that chest and steal their shit, you know? So um, buried treasure hunting, I was reading a buried treasure book one time, <laughs> And a guy found a three-lock box. There's been, there's been lots of them found, but, but I, when I, the book I was reading was legitimate. The guy, I knew who he was. I met the person. He told me about it. And he found a three-lock box, a small one, and it had, had some shit in it, man. You know, it's like it's, <laughs> it was valuable. So I thought I turned that into mental, spiritual, and physical. When you have, that's a three-lock box to the human body. And when you have... When you have those three things in balance and on the highest level, that's when you are the most powerful. Uh, and I don't mean powerful for it. Well, you're powerful. Your power is, is at best strength. But you've got to be in balance. You've got to be spiritual. You've got to have an idea, mental. You've got to be physically able to do it. 
And then if you got passion from your heart, you really believe it and want to do it, you can do it. Done. Yes. Three lock box. Did anyone know that? Because I, I seriously, I, I legitimately I, did not I, know that. I have never felt more shallow. I, I know, really. I was, I was thinking about a very different box. How, yeah, how do we follow and that up with the dick joke? Because I was locked out by multiple times, but I'm, I'm frankly stunned and a little disappointed in you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm upset how elevated this discussion just got. Everyone took it sexual, which yeah. works. It works. <laughs> we, uh, we're, we're not going to hear that song, but we are going to hear a song from that album. Play a little bit of number 23, Your Love is Driving Me Crazy. Time. This is so good. This song is amazing. Treat me like a child. And I can't deny when I'm with you that you step outside of all those fears locked up inside. Your love is driving me crazy. So good. Now, I like that song. Let me tell you, Daryl Hall, when I did um, the Live, Live at Daryl's House, house. Yeah. that was the first song Daryl wanted to do, because it's kind of an R&B kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. That's a little R, and it's got that major seventh chord near the, your love, and Daryl likes to sing that way. And when we did it, his band, we did it once on that show. We did, like every other song we played two or three times, you know, oh, let's do it again. And that song we played it once, boom, nailed it, man. It was Excellent. great. <laughs> Sammy, can I ask about that? Because uh, I know Daryl, and I, I seem to remember hearing something about maybe publishing-wise, you were given a hard time from on that show from about singing some Van Halen songs. And oh I, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't give nobody a hard time. The, the brothers, we were gonna do a couple of Van Halen songs, and the asshole brothers would not allow it. They hired, they got an attorney and stopped us from using those songs. And they, and you know. Yeah, that was chicken shit. That's what, that made me madder than anything they've done besides Mikey, because it was just chicken shit. They well, just... can I ask about that? Because the legacy, it seems crazy to me that there is a generation that thinks of Van Halen as with you, and there's those songs, there's, you know, there's at least a few rock standards that you would think, why would they not want those songs served? When, for television, you have to, okay, everyone has to sign off on it. It's a funny thing. Like, I can go play anything I want. You know, I can play anybody's songs, not only my own. But even if you wrote the song, like the Van Halen stuff, you know, being co-writer, um, everyone has to sign off on TV rights, sync rights. If you do it live, you can get away with it, but then you can't replay it. There's, there's all kinds of weird-ass rules like that. And they block it. When they have to write, sign off on anything to do with me, they, they block I don't give a shit, really. But that pissed me off because, you know, that was a cool show. And uh, they, that band would have tore Why Can't This Be Love and finished what you started up. But uh, that's that, what they wanted to do. That's all, that is so crazy because you singing those Van Halen songs on Live at Daryl's House is only going to make people remember that or people that a younger person who never heard it and they're going to go seek that out and purchase it. It's like, it's so, that is, that's insane, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's that's kind of, <laughs> that's that's kind of typical. <laughs> that's just kind of the way the ball rolls. But um, um, one more thing about Your sure. Drive Me Crazy. That song went to number 11. That was my biggest top 40 hit I've ever had. Do you still, do you ever play that? Because I saw you a couple of times, so I, I think as a couple of the shows, I didn't, 
hear you play that. No, I don't. Well, you can ask Karen that question because <laughs> I don't play the same songs every night ever. The Circle is the closest I've ever been to doing the same show, and it's still not the same show. I, I was talking with a fan down in Cabo, and they said, dude, I've seen you 42 times, and I've never seen the same show, same show twice, and I'm going, you never will either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I switch it up. I get bored. Uh, also around this time, you were on tons of soundtracks. Uh, have, who are you pointing at? Hey, dude. That's Tony, my buddy Tony. Hey, Tony. He's hey, right up what there the with fuck, me. right, Tony? You come out and see your buddy Sammy? He's not my buddy. I don't even know Tony, but I've seen him about 300 times. How many shows, Tony? 150, 200 shows? And remember, Tony, you have to stay 500 feet away from Mr. Hagar today. Just like the court order says. It's pretty much as close as you can get. And please First name basis, the whole front row. Okay. <laughs> so you have songs on the Footloose soundtrack. You have songs on heavy metal. You have songs on, uh, oh, I'm missing one here. Come on, Pat. Over, over, the, over top? the top. In the video. You, moving violations. Uh, uh, yeah. Twister. Back Twister. to the Future 2. Yep. You arm Vision Quest. You arm wrestle uh, Sylvester Stallone yes, sir, in the I winner did. takes it all video. And you win. <laughs> that was his idea, not mine. He wouldn't do it. I swear to God, he, he's a very cool guy too. My, my experience with Sylvester, he's really the real deal. He just he's he's like Rocky. He's pretty much pretty much a down to home dude, you know? And I said, you know, come on. He's going, no, you had a win. I'm going, get out of here. You know, nobody's gonna be buying into that. <laughs> so we I, Sammy, well, see, yeah. So, so, yeah, Sammy's well, gonna speak, win. Speaking of that, we happen by weird coincidence to have the two most famous boxing rockers, I think, in the world right here. You think you could take Chris? Who? Chris Isaac? Chris boxes? Oh, that's right. Chris used to box. No, Chris. Chris is bigger than me, man. I, I, in my, if I was in my fighting weight, I'd be like a welterweight. Chris would be like a middleweight, maybe even light heavy. I don't know. You know, but Chris, a couple inches taller than me, man. I'm not fighting fucking Chris. <laughs> maybe that's what we do next year. We get two rock stars to box mid show. Me and Chris are lovers. We are not fighters. Okay? Yeah. I'm gonna, My uh, wife thinks Chris is cute. How fucked up is that? <laughs> uh, yeah, look, everyone's wife thinks Chris is cute. My wife, my wife is she's very tiny. She's uh, she's five foot one, and she doesn't feel comfortable going to concerts because it's crowded and she doesn't like to be pushed. But she seems to be able to go to Chris Isaac concerts <laughs> when he comes to town with her girlfriends. I'm like, don't you want to go see Aerosmith? No, I don't want to be in that. Chris is coming. And, yeah, and my wife prefers Rick Springfield to both of you, so don't uh, worry at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's move into a little bit of Van Halen uh, and listen to some of those songs. Uh, I do want to say, though, such great album. VOA is a great album. And HSAS, Hager, yeah. Sean, Aronson, Shreve. and Shreve. I actually thought when Chickenfoot came together, I thought they could call this HSAS, too. It's the same initials. It's the same initials. Hager, Sakurati. Anthony... Uh, Satriani, yeah, and, and, uh, and Smith. Yeah, Pat has a lot of free time to figure this out. I have a lot sort of, of free time. Out. I have a lot of free time. But uh, <laughs> in uh, in 1986, uh, you were uh, uh, asked, invited to be a member of of the biggest rock and roll band around, coming off a, a gigantic album, 1984, and you step into the shoes of that guy and you nail it. When I remember. <laughs> 
Get ready, Kyle, with Why Can't This Be Love? Because I remember I was living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at the time, and it, they say on the radio, coming up, new Van Halen, and this thing came on, and I could not believe it. Kyle. That is a great song. That is a great song. That's undeniable. That's a song that comes on the radio. You don't turn it off, you turn it up. I mean, it's an amazing song. Uh, the album 5150, co produced by Mick Jones, a foreigner, and sold six million copies. People accepted you 100% in that band. Absolutely. Wow. It was a great record. The, the, whole, the whole secret to that success, you know, was partly the times, because back then, you know, I was, I was an arena act, so it was coming together, it became a little bit of a super group, so that was cool, and, we, and it was accepted, MTV was there, you know, the it, rock of the 80s, that was the highest point of record sales and all that, so that helped it, but really, the truth of the matter is, it was a great record, yeah. and, that's, and that's why that was successful. If we'd have made a stinker like some bands have done, they get some new singer and they make a bad record, and go, why didn't that work for them? Well, you made a fucking bad record, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, if I can say something about this, because Sammy was nice enough to say he watches those shows where I pontificate about pop culture, and the thing yeah. is, this is what Sammy did with the brothers and uh, with, with Mike, it doesn't happen. Uh, in all of rock history, it's the thing that can't be done. Now, ACDC is a story that's different. And, and I happen to be someone who, I love Brian. I think Brian, in some I love way, him too. Uh, yeah. I think that's the only thing that even comes close. But even to give Sammy credit, uh, Brian really sounded exactly like the guy who had been in the band before. And the thing that Sammy did was bring his own excitement and an added value to the band, which was, and I want to be, I'll make fun of the other guy a little bit, which he deserves, but the truth is he's a great character actor as a vocalist, but Sammy is a great vocalist. Yes, yes. And, uh, and there's, a, there's, a, there's, a moment, uh, there's a moment in that song where you're sort of singing, scatting, yeah. and, and, and Eddie is, to me, the most groundbreaking guitarist of my lifetime, and to have a guy who vocally has an instrument that can be equal and musically play with him and allow him to do things he could never do uh, was remarkable. And there's another point, I'll shut up after this, but there's one more point about this record is that people forget that the thrill of what Eddie was doing on guitar was somewhat dimming at that time, not because he was less great, but because other people were imitating it. There was yeah. a lot of yeah. that around. And I think what Sammy did was bring a whole new energy and really elevate things in a way that yeah. deserves a lot of credit for. Yeah, let he, happy to have been there. Yeah. I got <laughs> Eddie. Eddie played differently with Sammy. It wasn't all about just 
getting to the solo. It was about playing guitar across the whole entire song, and it's just, it's phenomenal. I know people that have played Dreams when they were coming down the aisle to get married. I know, I know more than one couple that did yeah, that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, Summer Nights, and um, uh, I love the way the when record... When It's Love is another one that a lot of people get married yeah, to yes, When It's right. Love. Yes, you're right. From OU812. Those are love songs, man. Yeah. You know, when you... Um, I love to be in love. We're Libras here, you know, a couple of us, I'm sure. But, and there's something about the Libra <laughs> person that really does, loves to be in love. I just want to be in love. If I'm in love, everything's okay. Man, you can steal my fucking car. I don't care. You know, it's like, I don't care, man. I'm in love, you know. Uh, and so writing love songs, I took a lot of heat from writing love songs in, in Van Halen. I wrote love songs in every album I've ever done because I dig love. It, I just like the feeling like I said, that little warm butterfly mm -hmm. thing. And uh, uh, so I brought that to the band. And Eddie loved it. And more than Eddie, Valerie loved it. And yeah. it was like, so if Valerie was happy, Eddie was happy. Shit, you know. Yeah. So uh, we, were, we got along so good in the beginning. And, and writing songs with, with Eddie, when you talk about his guitar playing, his keyboard playing also, that was a keyboard lick. That that's, that's all on a keyboard. He's, his guitar is in the background except for the solo. And... Um, when I heard Eddie play keyboard, he's got a left hand. For any musicians out there, he's funky, man. He's like, he's like uh, a badass bass player. And when he plays keyboard bass, it's like, you know, that, that boom, 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 boom. It was just, it was grooving, man. When he played me that, I just went, holy shit. It didn't even need a drum. And writing with, with a guy that really had that good of a feel, mm -hmm. him and I wrote all those songs together. And it would be like sitting in a room and he just playing guitar. You knew where the one was. You knew where the beat was. You knew uh, it was just really inspiring to do that. Yeah. And then him and Al would go, and they'd lock themselves away for days for one song. It was so hard writing songs to Van Halen because I'd have my part all ready to go. I'd say, all right, yeah, I'm done. I got my lyrics. I'm ready. You know, and I'm fast. I'm ready to do it. You know, and I'm sitting there, man, man, those guys have been in there two days now. <laughs> but... But and I'm, I'm not dogging them because yeah. they got it right. When they got it right, but I, I would say, man, just that's good enough. You know, I just want to sing this shit. You know. And this is this is this. We is, had fun. When you talk about that, it's a little sad to me because you guys, you guys were friends. You guys Absolutely. were tight. Didn't you have houses next to each other somewhere? Yes, we did. In I mean, Malibu. We had you, a house in between us. <laughs> 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 if, <laughs> those poor people. We'd be yelling off our decks. Hey. <laughs> So, I mean, uh, you, you, I, I had a friend once that I didn't, I didn't speak to for seven years. And then finally I just said, this is ridiculous. And we're solid friends right now. But uh, you've you got to miss that friendship a little bit. I'm open. You're open. You, know, you hey, are open. I mean, I, don't, I dislike the way they treated me and Mike at, at times. Yeah. And, I, and I dislike even more the way they've treated the fans at times. Yeah. But... And we, that's what we fought about. It was always about that. It was about ticket prices. Mm -hmm. It was about, uh, you know, how many shows we're going to do in a row. Because I'd say I'm not singing more than two or three. I sing right. three shows in a row, then I need two days off. Fuck it, just dance. Just dance? <laughs> <laughs> you mean like the other guy? Yeah. <laughs> For the I'm, not listener. To, I'm not trying to be funny, but it's true. I, yeah, I know. I, but You're not I, a monkey. But when we were friends and things were good and before everything got fucked up uh, when our manager died and that's when it got bad I wrote about it all in the book but Ed I'm just saying yeah when Ed Leffler died that's when you know the band went crazy 
they were, we were always crazy. crazy. Ed Leffler just kept us herd. You know, he, kept <laughs> us, he kept us in a group. And, and once he left, then it was gone. So when he died. But the long story short is that I love those guys. Yeah. I love what we did. That music is some of the greatest music I've ever made in my life. And it'll be the greatest music for as long as I live. And people will enjoy it. And I'm proud of it. And I would like yeah. to be friends with those guys, yeah. but we're not. Yeah. Now, and I would oh, like, no. and I, as, as they a, don't like me, okay. As a fan, I want to thank you and and Michael Anthony for going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, showing up, because yes. that I know it was an honor. It was definitely an honor for you guys, but by showing up, that was nice for the fans to see you guys up there and 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 accepting. So yeah. thank you so much for doing that. Hey, my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> I got my thing on my on my piano, you know. People that talk about awards. I w- I just did an interview yesterday. Uh, my new TV show. I'm not hyping it, but it comes out uh, at the end of this month, huh? But I, yesterday I. Are you talking about the Rock and Roll Road Trip, yeah, Sam, on Access TV? Well, all right. Well, so yesterday on the way home from Cabo, I stopped in L.A. and did five hours of TV and press and interviews about the radio show for for Access TV. All the all the new shows that were on there, everybody was there. Dan Rather was there. I got to meet Dan Rather. He's the best interviewer. You guys are nothing. <laughs> How dare you? Fucking Dan Rather. Oh, but anyway. <laughs> he, uh, so, but I was asked a, a question, which now I fucking forgot. But uh, <laughs> Let's see, what was I asked? No, it's good. It, it's really important. It was to do with that. Uh, but what was it? It was... Um, <laughs> There you go. All I right. interrupt. It's my I, fault. I don't worry. You. I'll remember when I get home. All right, cool. Yeah. I, I have one question while you're thinking of that. Because uh, you, you mentioned TV. You mentioned MTV earlier. One of the amazing things about that record with Van Halen, which makes the success is tremendous, but I think I forgot until I was like reading back a little bit about it, that that was coming off a time when they were doing video after video and doing it very well because... They were, videos are, in essence, cartoons, and they had sort of a guy who is sometimes a cartoon, and they did it great. But you guys did it really not using video yeah. in a traditional way. I mean, like, people forget there was no video, right, for Why Can't This Be Love? There was the Dream. whole first album. There was yeah. no video. There was, like, there was a footage of, you know, an inspiring sort of... Some planes. Planes uh, for dreams. But you guys... Ha- now, how did that happen? Because it was such a gutsy thing. Yeah, didn't Warner Brothers say, hey, you guys got to make a video? Well, yeah, they, everybody wanted us to do a video, but our manager, Ed Lefter, he was brilliant. He was like Brian Epstein. He, he, he was a one-man dog. He managed Van Halen. That, he managed me up till then. He managed Van Halen. He goes, listen, you guys, you do, is what you want is because that song is so good, you just want them to hear that song. Don't ruin it with a video and make them come and see you live, you know? And, I mean, it, it worked. It was like, yeah. I was uh, fine. Be honest with you, I fucking hated making videos. <laughs> I still do. I mean, it's like, it's so, it's silly. You know, you're like, you're not really singing. You know, you're faking. Right. And uh, I don't know. And they never have the music loud enough to do a good fake, you know. <laughs> it's like, but uh, I, so I, I was never really into making, I mean, you know, I did it because it, it, it worked. But um, it's not wasn't my favorite thing. I still don't like cameras that much. I like doing this TV show, though, because I'm not acting. I'm, I'm interviewing my buddies, and we're talking about stuff that we would talk about if nobody was in the room. And uh, Who's and, on that show? You got Kevin Cronin? 
Is he on? Oh, he's on one. He, he's, uh, every time I do a show, somebody shows up and hangs okay. out. Kevin came up. Kind of like Chris Isaac Yeah, every today. time I do a show, Isaac comes oh, in. there you go. <laughs> Kevin Cronin, uh, I was doing Jerry Cantrell and Nancy Wilson. Okay, great. Oh, excellent. And, and Kevin came and, and, and said hi to everybody. And, um, but I got Tommy Lee and Michael Anthony's on that show for about the Sunset Strip. I got Bob Weir and Mickey Hart here in San Francisco. Nice. It's awesome. And... Um, who else? Uh, Alice Cooper in, in, uh, in Phoenix. And, but anyway, uh, is what I did first is I went, I went to all my friends and said, hey, I'm doing this TV show. You know, you guys want to do it. Nobody wants to do TV. They're all like me. You know, Bob Seger, well, you know, I don't like cameras, man. I don't either, but damn, you know, I need some, <laughs> I need some of my friends to step up. So uh, timing-wise, um, it was kind of tough. So a lot of guys said, well, their manager, well, you got to talk to my manager. Strike one, right? I thought we were buddies, but okay. So put the manager to manager, and the idea was, well, is this going to be a real show? And you guys know TV. You don't know if it's going to be a real show. It might be a pilot. You know, I, mean, I don't know. We're making a pilot. You right. know, nobody wants to do a fucking pilot. i got to spend two days working, and then all of a sudden it doesn't, nothing happens. So that happened to a lot of things. And then finally, but I, my buddies came through, and I got six shows together. And now when it's a, a success, see, everybody be calling me, hey, Sammy, want to do your show, man? <laughs> That's the way it works. But my, you know, the future, I really want to, I go to people's hometown, and, and I go to their, they show me around, I go to their home, I want to know what they know. Like, we all know about Motley Crue, but you don't know a lot of stuff about Tommy's personal life, you know, the way he is. I Except think we know a little bit on, about Tommy's well, the personal new. life. That's the old life. That's, okay. That's all the right. old life, the Just new checking. Tommy Lee. All right. So anyway, that's what I work on, is just trying to talk to them about where they're at now and what they like to do. And, um, and I, you know, I want to do Mellencamp in his town. I want to do Springsteen in Jersey. I want to do frickin' uh, Tom Waits. Who? James won't do it. James is one of the guys. Hetfield's my dear friend. He hates cameras worse than anybody. <laughs> uh, Sammy, He'll do it. He'll do it now when it's a success. No, I'm joking. But speaking, <laughs> Sammy, speaking of towns... Chris, can I get a witness? Can yeah. I get a witness? We got a Chris. <laughs> but Sammy, speaking of towns, since we're doing this, this is a San Francisco sketch fest, what has San Francisco meant to you and your music? Oh, I love this place. I, I choose to live here. I live in Cabo San Lucas, Hawaii, and San Francisco, you know, Marin County. And, and I've lived here forever, and I, I choose to live here because I love it here. You come to this city, there's great restaurants, there's always a great music scene, there's a good comedy scene, there's culture, there's museums. It's gorgeous. I, I don't know. I just love this place. I, I, I'm a, I, w I was born in uh, Salinas, Monterey. Salinas. I was born in the Monterey County Hospital, but I lived in Salinas. And uh, I came up here as soon as I... As soon as I got a car, I came straight to San Francisco. I, uh, I would like to play, and David, David, this is one of the songs David wanted to play too, is this is, uh, this is from OU812, and this was a totally uh, out-of-the-box type of Van Halen song, and it is so good. Kyle, let's hear a little bit of Finish What You Started. Oh, yeah. Love this song. So good.
so good. What a song. So great. I, uh, now, just listen once again. Listen yes. how funky Eddie's playing yeah. on guitar. I mean, that is like slippery shit, man. But her dank, dank, and boom. It's like it's all, it's all, it's just funky. No, and, and you're right in the pocket. And, and if you go back and look what else was on the charts at that moment, and there was nothing with that much soul. Oh, I always yeah. thought it was like a Creedence song, like put into the space age or something. It just had such roots yeah. and, and soul to it. So great. Uh, yeah. Great, great song. I love that song. I still put the circle fucks that song up, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> that's a good song. But but one more thing about that song. That that's a true. That song is true verbatim to what I was talking about. It was really a situation where in the middle of the night, Eddie gets thrown out of his house because he was doing all the wrong shit, and and it wakes me up, comes you know, beating on my door. Well, then let's run it. I said, hey, I can't come down there, man. You know, I'm in the middle of some shit. You know, <laughs> it's like I'm talking off the balcony. Come on, man. So I go down there with the guitar and we wrote that song. It's just, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, and here's a question. Uh, the OU812 album, uh, there, is there no produce, there's no producer listed on that album. It doesn't say like produced by. Yeah. So what, what's going on there? Why, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, uh, I don't really remember except for the fact that we, we were just doing everything on our own. We got real cocky when, when, when honestly, when 5150 went straight to number one, you know, all of our first number one album. Yeah. And, and we just got like, hey, we know what we're doing, right? So we kind of just got rid of everybody. We didn't even tell the record company. We just went in and made that record with the engineer, Don Landy, who had made all the Van right. Halen records and all the Ted Templeman, Montrose. He made yeah. the Montrose records with Ted Templeman. So we just got Don, locked ourselves in there and knocked that record out. It was so quick. We, we did that record in no time. We were so up and positive and happy and excited and and it was just you know everything was just working it was like a it was awesome well there's great stuff on that mine yeah. mine all mine and yeah and mine all mine that's my yeah. favorite song we, we yeah. added that to the circle too tell them karen would you speak up? <laughs> pipe down karen <laughs> and, um and cabo we opened with that one night and it was like wow it felt good it yeah felt that's good. a great tune that's yeah. a great opening track uh the um I have, a, I, have a, I have an audio clip queued up, but my wife said, do not play that, so I'm not going to play it. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you basically, and then we're going to move on, but I'm going to tell you basically, this was a, I remember this interview with Eddie Van Halen and Alex right after you, had, you were not in the band, and I remember this quote so vividly. Eddie Van Halen said this about Sammy Hagar, and let me, let me, <laughs> let me, let me say this quote, and then I want to hear it. I'm okay. open. I, do you want to cool, hear Eddie cool. say it, or do you want me to say it? No, you say it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might said, get pissed off over here. He said, he said his work ethic sucks. <laughs> now, now let me now listen to this. Since Eddie said that, Van Halen has released two albums. <laughs> Sammy has released twelve albums and started two successful alcohol brands <laughs> and toured all over the place. So Sammy Hagar's work ethic does not suck. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because that was when I wrote Little White Lie, was yes. I saw him say yes. that on TV and I went, them motherfuckers. I mean, I just could I went and wrote that song because yeah. Are there two more angrier millionaires? <laughs> Than those two guys. <laughs> I, it was so crazy. It was so crazy that why? I mean, they those guys say some crazy shit. Yeah, I do too. Look, I can put my foot in my mouth, but I'm usually telling the truth, you know. And I maybe shouldn't have told the truth, but but man, I don't know where they come up with some of that stuff, man. It's like I had, my work ethic sucked. Wow, I've worked yeah, my crazy. whole life. 
It's all I do. Ask my wife. I just went to, um, my wife and I went, Kari, we went to a retreat in, uh, I think it was after Cabo, or right before, no, it was after Cabo. No, it was right before the birthday bash. So we went in September, and we went down at this place and where we did this couple's retreat and with our kids and we did all kinds of therapy and soul searching and you know you do all these things trying to figure out what your problem is or what you really want to be you know or who who are you you know I'm, I'm like in your life is this what you really want to do and and I was like everything about me was like I'm cool <laughs> I, mean, I mean I'm I'm happy with myself and with my wife and my kids and my life and all this stuff you know and and you know the kids are saying yeah but dad you know you're like this you're like that I'm going really you know how about that <laughs> and it's all they could pick on me all they could find in 10 days was that I'm a fucking workaholic <laughs> and they said this guy just works all the time he gets up in the morning and he does something I'm going yeah I like to keep busy but anyway now, that's my only my only fault, if I may. Now, you you embrace your birthday like no one else. I, everyone else, everyone else is like my birthday. Forget Their it. Their fault. Yeah, but um, you were now. I, I want to tell you, you're born October 13th. Yes, sir. And so is my daughter Rita. Really? Yes. Right on. And when the album 1013 came out and it has a baby uh, like upside down, like they just got it, but that came out. Two days after my first daughter was born wow. uh, on October 22nd. So, like, when I saw that cover, I was like, I'm holding my baby. I'm holding a new Sammy album. <laughs> this is the greatest day of my life. But uh, there's a beautiful song on 1013 that I want to play a little bit of. Kyle, go to number 43, and I love this deeper kind of love. Oh, yeah. Let's hear this. So bring her. Because the, the, the first verse is about how great it is to fall in love. And the second verse is like, once you fall in love, you have so much to lose. And how, how scary it is at that point to keep it, to keep that deeper kind of love. I love that song. I, I write songs about relationships a lot because uh, I've all, I'm always in one, you know. I mean, I've been I'm on my second marriage, which is pretty good for a guy my age. <laughs> <laughs> and happily married, by the way. And... Uh, I've, you know, rather when times were bad in my previous marriage, when we, you know, things fell apart, I write songs about that. Mm -hmm. You know, when things are great, I write songs about that. And when things are difficult, I write songs about that. It just, it seems to be the thing, like I said, being a, a, a person that just loves being in love, love, I love to feel things. Like if I can feel something, I'd rather feel hurt than nothing at all. You know, so I like to feel things. And when I feel things, I write a song. It just happens every time. And so if I get hurt, I write a song. If I get happy, I write a song. And uh, a lot of my later songs have been pretty happy lately. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a pretty good time. But, but really, that's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to write songs about how you feel and go out and sing them. Like I said, it's embarrassing and it's a little bit uncomfortable, especially when you're singing songs like that. Yeah. But um, 
It really is good. Uh, we're going to move on to Chicken Foot real quick, but another one, uh, uh, an amazing song that I really love is uh, the one you wrote uh, for your daughter, Kama. Kama. Am I pronouncing it right? I'm not sure I can listen to this. Yeah, I won't play that. I have it queued up, but uh, soft, go listen to that one. That is, uh, that is an amazing song, and I have two daughters, so that's, uh, and my voice cracked, and I'm going to cry. But, I can't um, sing the song live. I cannot sing it live. I can't do it. Because you'll cry? I, yeah. I don't, I've always said, I don't see how Eric Clapton can sing Tears in Heaven. Oh, my God. No I don't way. see how he can do it. He's amazing. No. He's my favorite artist of all time maybe but i always see him sing that song i just go i fucking i can't even listen to it you know yeah um yeah i'm i'm i have a hard time singing uh, those kind of songs and you wrote that when she came was born how old is she now came is 19 i just dropped her off in la yesterday oh, lock the doors she's right? going to college in la learning oh. to be a fashion designer by the way oh my goodness she'll have me looking good a couple more years <laughs> look at fucking sammy he's he's tightening his look up uh, chicken foot Michael Anthony, Joe Satriani, Chad Smith, the greatest players. Two fantastic albums. If you don't have these albums, get these albums. David, you had a chicken foot song you wanted to play. What was it? Well, Learning to Fall, which uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I think... Uh, Old to school me, ballad, man. Yeah, yep. I think vocally, this is like what I was talking about. I think this might be my favorite vocal ever, and I think it's one of your, maybe your best, best things uh, you've ever thank done. Thank you, David. I love this song, too. Let's hear it. Yeah. It's an amazing yeah. song. That's a goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Satriani is the most prolific guitar player, musician I've ever worked with in my life. If you say to Joe, "Let's write a song about this," the next day he has the music done. It's and good. He's an amazing musician, and he's so prolific. You know, it, it, um, I love writing with Joe too. That's ooh, I forgot about that song. No, and I will say that for people like me, like. I know he's a great player, but until Chickenfoot, I didn't really because I need a vocal. To I connect, need a vocal too. Yeah, connect. Yeah. Other than Jeff Beck, maybe there's few yeah, exceptions. Yeah, he sings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He sings on the guitar, but I, I've only sort of discovered what a great songwriter he is because of the work that you guys have done together. You know, it's funny you picked those two songs because "Deeper Kind of Love." I use that same line: "When I fall, I fall deep," and it, I do, <laughs> hard and deep. Um, Sammy. Before we go, I just want to thank you for coming out here today. I love this. Sitting here in this intimate group of 
Red Rocker fans. Uh-oh, what's happening? Uh, Sammy's making some drinks. People go out and buy some uh, Sammy's Beach Bar Rum. Cheers. Sammy Thank Hagar, you for everybody. Me. Thank you to David Wilde for being here. Always adding uh, a, an extra credibility to the show. Thank you to Kyle for always producing and making it sound great. Chris Isaac in the house! And let's close out with a song from Cosmic Universal Fashion called Loud. Thank you, everybody. Listen to the Rock Solid Podcast. Turn the key and every light turned green. Like Steve McQueen, I made a